Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. A best-selling Christian writer, Lisa Turkhurst, is one of the most sought-after voices on women and the church. She's president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, and she has authored more than 25 books, all of which she herself really bears her soul in order to help others find a path on their spiritual journey. Lisa's latest book is, again, that sort of raw exposure of her person, uh, vulnerable yet finding strength in the experience. The book is titled Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. And she joins me now. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you today. Well, you have just a very unique, I shouldn't say very unique, but you have a unique um, ministry, I think. Um, and the title of this new book kind of tells a lot, but you tell me, you know, what it says to you. Well, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes is really an opportunity for people to love others well without losing the best of who they are. Sometimes when we hear the word boundaries, there's a couple of things that pop into our mind. Is it okay for a Christian woman to have boundaries, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes there seems to be some Bible verses that would contradict that. For example, you know, when Jesus says that we are to lay down our lives, you know, with, with our, uh, for our friends, and Jesus certainly modeled that. He laid down his life, but Jesus laid down his life to accomplish a high and holy purpose, not to enable bad behavior to continue. And so we need to remember that, that boundaries are an opportunity to avoid extremes. One extreme is just putting up with anything and everything. The other extreme is saying enough is enough and immediately leaving. So what boundaries do, boundaries are a communication tool to help us avoid extremes, bring it back to the middle and express what we will and will not tolerate, what we do and do not have to give and what we can and cannot accept in a relationship. And I'm convinced more relationships die, not because we attempt boundary conversations, but because we refuse to have the conversations that were so needed. Yeah, boundaries actually necessitate strength, right? Because you've got to mm-hmm. set a bar. You've got to have the sort of, uh, what do they call that, and the non-negotiable at that, at that point. You've got to set a point at which you are willing to walk away from something, right? That's right. And, you know, really boundaries are to establish where the freedom exists in a relationship. Otherwise, we'll always be tentative, wondering, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And we run the risk of really doing things that the other person isn't okay with. But if you never communicate about it, then you don't know about it. And so boundaries set guidelines where we can roam freely within those guidelines and know that we're okay, the other person is okay. So boundaries are not meant to shove another person away. Boundaries are to help hold ourselves together. 
you know, we, we shouldn't try to control other people. So we don't put boundaries on them to force them to change. Instead, Mm -hmm. we draw boundaries around ourselves so that we can remain self-controlled, sane, and stable. Now you talk about, um, there are five guidelines for implementing healthy boundaries. What are the five guidelines? Well, there's many guidelines throughout the book. So let me just touch on five of my most favorite. The first is I've I've already stated, you know, when when a boundary is needed, the most important thing for us to do is to accept reality. Mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs, but we can't fix our reality if we never acknowledge our reality. And so we need to acknowledge there's some things going on in this relationship that are not appropriate or that aren't going to help the relationship stay healthy. And so we've got to acknowledge it and we've got to accept that that is there. The second thing that we need to do after acknowledging it is to take a step back, not in a moment of heated passion and not in a moment of frustration and anger, because we don't want to use our boundaries to try to punish another person or prove a point or control them. Mm -hmm. So instead we need to think ahead about what is an appropriate boundary and maybe even write it down. The third thing is we need to accept that there will be consequences for this boundary, not just for the person that we, you know, are in a relationship with where the boundary will affect them, but it'll affect us. We will run the risk of that relationship changing. And so we have to acknowledge there may be a cost to us, but when the pain of not having a boundary gets greater than the consequence of the boundary, then we really do need to have these conversations. Number four, after that, we need to communicate it with love. You know, and we we also don't want to make excuses when we communicate our boundaries. My counselor always says adults inform, children explain. We aren't (laughs) asking for their permission. (laughs) Rather, we're stating reality in love and compassion and kindness, you know, but but we are clearly communicating it. And then the last one is we need to hold our boundaries, because if we implement a boundary, and then we keep dropping that boundary. We're training the other person to never take us seriously. You know, um, I mean, how much of this is directly tied to you ending a 29-year marriage? I mean, it's uh, because of your husband's infidelity. How much of you is in this book? Well, I don't give a lot of details. I set the context for what I went through. You know, there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy is keeping secrets so that you can hide things. And I never wanted to keep secrets and I never wanted to hide things. But at the same time, privacy allows us to hold some details private because it's not going to help other people. What will help other people is for us to get to the place where we accept what we've been through. And then we use our transferable wisdom to help them in their own journey. So there, there are, you know, some, some revelations in this book about my experience with the trauma that I walked through and the fact that, you know, there were a lot of things that were happening that were not just difficulties, but they became destructive to my well-being. And um, like I said before, I think I finally got to the place where I said, I'm not walking away, but I am accepting reality. And when I accepted reality, that meant the death of my marriage. That's a very hard place to be. I mean, you were, you posted on Instagram, two years of healing, two years of focusing on my own health, two years of learning how to sit in a quiet in the quiet with myself and be okay. Two years of believing God for goodness, even when things felt not good at all. Two years of learning to go home to an empty house and counting the blessings 
that are still abundant. Two years. That's a long time to get into that place. That's two years of some pretty hard moments, I would think. So many hard moments. You know, the first time that my counselor told me, Lisa, you know, you need to learn to sit with yourself and be okay, because that's the sign of an emotionally healthy person. And I really did not like that answer. I bristled against it because I just thought that's ridiculous. I I'm lonely. So you're telling me because I'm lonely, I need to go home and learn to sit with myself. That seems like it will just feed the problem. But, you know, his wisdom was so good because what it allowed me to do is get to the place where I found myself inside the healing. And what I mean by that is I wanted to get to a place where I didn't need another person to help me heal, but that I could be free to eventually want another person without bringing the trauma of the past into a future relationship. You know, I'm wondering, I mean, and and please tell me if these are areas you don't want to talk about, but you talk about that it was your husband's infidelity, finally. I mean, I I, I assume that this is not just one incident, but over a period of time. And you actually, you know, three years ago, I think that's when we talked, or maybe a few more years ago, you had reconciled and remarried uh, that person. And what happened to that? Yeah, so we renewed our vows. And um, another factor of this, which has been public knowledge as well, is that there were addictions involved um, in addition to the infidelity. And it was a it was a whole cycle. And so when we renewed our vows, I felt like we had gotten to a place where we could heal together. We had been separated and healing on our own. And he was working on himself and I was working on myself. And then we just decided, okay, let's bring back Uh, Let's bring it back together and walk this healing road together. And we renewed our vows and we had one good year. And then the addictive cycle kicked in and um, everything fell apart. And so again, was I devastated? I was doubly devastated because I could envision this beautiful redemption story that just seemed right there, so close. And when everything fell apart again, I remembered I'd made a promise to myself to never again diminish the best of who I am to cover up the worst of who someone else is. And part of that was accepting reality. I can love him and I can uh, be there for him, but I cannot save him. And I had to acknowledge I'm not his savior. Mm -hmm. And I needed to, at that point, learn to care for myself and learn to keep myself safe and sane and stable. And it broke my heart into a million pieces. But looking back on it now, two years removed from that next level of devastation, um, I realized I didn't give up on my marriage. I... I didn't walk away from my marriage. I chose to accept reality. Hmm. Did you ever, were you ever able to get inside his head and understand why he had this addiction, why he was unfaithful? Um, and also, did he blame you? Was he angry with you? Because, you, you know, you didn't stay with him. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I never really understood it. And I try to be really careful to let him have the freedom to share his story one day. And mm-hmm. my prayer is that he will get to the place where he could share his story. But what I will say is for me, I think the best way I can describe the dynamic that was happening is 
Um, if you and I were together and one of us had a cardiac event, of course, we would rush to the other person and start doing chest compressions to try to sustain life. And that is a noble and wonderful thing to do, to rush to someone and using external pressure, try to create a dynamic where sustainability is feasible. But at some point, if that person's heart doesn't start to quicken and beat on its own, you cannot sustain another person's life by you using external pressure to change them. And never have you seen two friends walking around a mall, one doing chest compressions on another person (laughs) and think, wow, that's a healthy relationship. And so that's what I had to finally realize, you know, it was, if, if I was working harder on him than he was working on him, that was not going to be a sustainable dynamic. Yeah, um, it's excellent analogy. That's really actually quite powerful. You know, I was listening to a, a Tim Keller sermon um, not too long ago, and he talked about when he was a young pastor in a small town in Virginia, and a husband called him desperate for counseling because his wife had threatened to leave him. Um, and the counseling helped, and the husband changed his ways, but only as long as the threat of his wife leaving was gone, right? And then he went back to his old ways. And the man's sorrow, you know, the Keller was talking about, the man's sorrow really was about what it was costing him Um, and not about that he'd hurt his wife or that he'd sinned against God's holy law and marriage. It really, it was all about him. And this is, this is the, the downward spiral of sin, if you were, or the downward spiral of addiction is that, um, and it's not that the man when they had the counseling was saying, well, I'm just going to do this as long as it takes, you know, and get back to it. No, he was actually quite sincere at the time. But if you don't know your own heart, you know, if you don't know what's really driving you, then this is where you end up again. I mean, is this, is, is that, was that kind of the same for you? Yeah. You know, I had to realize there, there's a big difference between mistakes and patterns. So mistakes are something we all make. You know, we we all mess up. We we all fall short. We all do things that we shouldn't do, not because we're awful people, but because we're human. And those mistakes, as long as that we recognize it's a mistake and we ask for forgiveness and and we move forward in healthy ways, then mistakes can actually serve to help us become more self-aware and honestly more healthy. And the relationship can improve. But when it's not just an isolated instance, it's not just a mistake. When it shifts into that place of becoming a habit that doesn't just create a difficult dynamic in the relationship, but it creates a destructive dynamic in the relationship, then that's where you've got to make some really hard decisions. And, you know, I think the addictive cycle is really hard for people to understand. It took me years to understand it because I don't have an addictive personality. I have my faults and I have my flaws, but I didn't understand addictions. And so I didn't really understand what I was dealing with until we brought professionals in. And that really helped a lot. Um, we're going to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast and, call, and uh, come back and talk with Lisa DeKirst about um, the good boundaries and the goodbyes. We'll be, uh, we'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
And I'm back with Lisa Tukhurst. Um, her book, her new book is called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. And I wonder, you know, I mean, and I want to get into some of the advice you could have for women because there are a lot of women who don't know when to leave or don't know if they should leave or um, how they should leave. Um, and I'm wondering, do you ever wish that you had made better choices, you know, 30 years ago and said, if I'd only understood myself better or, you know, men better, I would have made a different kind of choice. Do you ever think about that? Well, honestly, I I try not to. And the reason is because it just doesn't help me. But here's what does help me. When you know better, you do better. So I know better now because I've gotten the emotional healing, um, the counseling that I probably needed all along that um, this event just helped propel me in into counseling because I was in so much pain. I was desperate for it. And when you know better, you do better. And so now I can just I can look back on myself back then and just know that. I didn't have all the tools I have today. So I don't want to beat her up and say like past Lisa, you know, 20 year old Lisa, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what a joke you were like, you didn't do this right. And you didn't do that. Right. I, I, I want to have compassion because I do believe I did the best I could with what I had, but now I know better. So I'm going to do better. You know, I, I interviewed a woman uh, sometime in uh, a few weeks ago before Christmas um, who had been homeless in New York at one point. She had, her story is quite unique in that she was married to a Baptist minister for 35 years. And she said for 35 years, she suffered under his emotional abuse. And it finally got to the point where she was on a highway and he did that one thing that just triggered it and stopped the car and she was out and never looked back. And she was willing to suffer being homeless in New York rather than go back. Um, To guard against that kind of, you know, reaction, you know, that you have to, you know, a 35-year marriage is a really long marriage, and to have suffered that for 35 years, um, and she said she saw the signs when they first got married. Give some advice to women about, you know, who are Bible-believing, they're Christians, they want to be good Christians, they've married under the belief and the, that this is supposed to last forever. What do you look for, and when do you leave? Such a good question, such a needed question. So in my book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, I have a lot of checklists and it's really to increase the self-awareness of what is reality. Because again, if we don't acknowledge reality, we cannot fix our reality. And so the purpose of all of these checklists, it's so that a woman can analyze where she's really at and what's really happening. But I'm not going to tell her what to do. I'm, I'm not going to tell her what to think. I'm just going to give her a lot to think about. And so I'll give you an example of a couple of those questions. One, is there an area in my life where when I talk to important people about this relationship that I refuse to share certain details in order so I can make my relationship or make that other person seem better than they actually are. Mm -hmm. Number two, am I diminishing the best of who I am to cover up for the worst of who they are? Number three, am I afraid to tell people what's really going on? That's a big one. Mm. And and maybe you're afraid emotionally, spiritually, um, mentally, physically, but, but where there's fear, that's usually an indication that there's a lack of safety. And if there's a lack of safety, that is huge. 
That is time where you need to acknowledge, like my friend Leslie Vernick says, you got you have to acknowledge that it, there's a big difference between a difficult relationship and a destructive relationship. And if you do not feel safe, then you need to get some people who are trained to help you assess that relationship um, honestly. And that doesn't mean you may have to automatically leave and jump to a divorce, but it mean, it does mean that there's a dysfunctional dance that needs to be stopped in that relationship. And certainly if it is an extreme where you are not physically, emotionally, sexually safe, then absolutely you may have to separate from that dynamic in order to keep yourself safe. And nobody is going to save you you're going to have to rise up, acknowledge reality and seek out the help that you need. And I just encourage people to do that. The last question I'll say, there's many, many more in the book, but where in your life is there extreme chaos? Because where there's chaos, there is a need for a boundary. And we have to take a step back instead of just saying, I can't take this anymore, which may be the case. Maybe you've hit that point. You can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. But can we not take a leap? Can we just take a few steps, wise steps to say where there's chaos, there's a need for a boundary. And where am I failing to put boundaries around myself to keep myself sane, stable and safe? Um, You talk about finding the right person to help. And you talk about that your counselor, Jim Crest, really helped you. How did you find him? And how would you recommend other women find a good counselor? Don't give up. You know, I had to go through a couple of counselors to get to Jim. And um, it was a journey. And I knew Jim was the right fit when during one of our first meetings, he asked me to share what I've been going through. And he listened. And then at the end of what I was sharing, he just looked at me and he said, Lisa, I believe you. I believe you. And I knew in that moment that Jim was the kind of person who he was going to listen to me. He was going to believe and not gaslight me, you know, and saying, well, that may be your experience, but did that really happen the way you said it? Wow. He just abs- yeah. he absolutely believed me. And at the same time, he had the strength to compassionately challenge me on some things and challenge me on perspectives, but he didn't start there. He start by believing me. And that was profound. I knew he was the right person, but it took me a while. I had to get there. I had to go through others in order to finally get to Jim. So don't give up. I'm actually surprised it's a man. And I and maybe that's my prejudice, but thinking that I would go right to seeking a woman counselor. Did you do that? And then found... Uh, a man actually had a, a, a more listening ear. Yeah, well, it, it kind of became irrelevant to me whether it was a man or a woman. I needed someone who was an expert on betrayal trauma, who was an expert on partner trauma. And um, and the other thing that I really liked about Jim is that he himself, and he acknowledges this publicly, um, he's many, many, many decades healed from this, but he was a sex addict. And he he was able to shed some light on ways of thinking that I couldn't understand in the intensity of my own relationship because it all felt personal. But when he shared his experiences and I wasn't personally attached to those, a lot of things started to make sense to me and actually helped me understand my situation better. You know, there are a lot of marriages that are not like in the dumps. They just need a kind of a course correction. 
um, how would you recommend women kind of do it on their own and sort of, it just kind of needs a course correction. I need to be more um, upfront with my, my husband or, you know, in order to kind of get us back on track. How do you know the difference between something that's just kind of a course correction or something that needs some massive changes? Well, that's exactly why I wrote the book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. It wasn't to help people leave people. It was to help people love people better without losing the best of who they are. And so really what boundaries are, boundaries are good communication tools. And I think because... I not only teach how to have the emotional fortitude and the biblical confidence to draw boundaries, um, but I actually give scripts in the book of things to say. And these aren't always devastating relationships. It's our everyday relationships. If you want a better relationship, then you implement healthy boundaries. And I think for too long, we've had this notion that boundaries are bad. Boundaries are for extreme situations. No, boundaries are just an effective communication tool that can help relationships become healthier. Yeah, I think boundaries actually, like you said, boundaries actually create freedom actually within them because mm-hmm. you understand the parameters. That's just why they have football fields that are a certain length, you know, and uh, buildings in that kind of boundary. Um, one of the things that I think you could probably lend a much um, some um, intellectual acuity on here is the the verse in Ephesians that talks about wives be subject to your husbands and husbands be subject or take care of your wives. Um, I for, I forgot to actually take the scripture out and and show it. I could probably call it up on my phone, but you know the scripture I'm talking about. And I think this has been one of the most maligned scriptures, but also, and not just outside the church, but inside the church. And the kind of scripture that gives certain kind of men the feeling that they have power over their wives. And certain Mm -hmm. wives, if they are in that kind of a relationship, feel that they have to be subject to their husbands and do everything their husbands request because Somehow that's more biblical. Shed some light on those scriptures. Absolutely. Well, we want to remember that we honor what's honorable. And so when it says to respect your husband, you know, husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. We honor what's honorable, but we do not honor what's dishonorable. And it's actually unloving to enable someone else to continue to sin against us. Jesus did call us to lay down our lives, but he did not call us to lay down our lives to enable bad behavior to continue. What he modeled is we laid down our life. He laid down his life for a high and holy purpose, but he didn't do it so that we could enable bad behavior to continue. So I think it's really important that we understand that biblical principles, we've got to take a pause and sort of take a step back and ask, what is the context of what's being taught here? What are the parameters around this verse? And then marry it with other verses. For example, in Malachi chapter two, it says, God hates divorce in most of our Bibles. That's what it says. And this is a highly contested scripture. But if you go back before the King James Version, what the interpretation of that verse actually was, when a man hates and divorces his wife, he does violence against the one he should protect. 
And then in some Bibles now, it says that with a little footnote, God hates divorce. So I think when we really take time, instead of just accepting these Bible verses and instead of, instead of just letting Bible verses be weaponized against us because another person may have a different interpretation than us, I think we need to do some studying ourselves. And that's one reason, Lauren, I started a podcast called Therapy and Theology to make sure that people had a safe place to go and get solid theology with correct interpretation of scriptures as best as we can and marry it with therapy because our emotional health is important as well. Where can people find that uh, that podcast? Wherever podcasts are listened to, it's called Therapy and Theology with Lisa Turkhurst. Um, and also Proverbs 31 Ministry, how would they find that as well? Yeah, so you just go to Proverbs31.org, and we have so many resources to encourage you in your daily walk with the Lord, but also to equip you to have healthy and a, an emotionally stable relationships. Um, one of the things that I do want to um, address here, because not all marriages are, you know, Christian married to Christian, you know, they're interfaith marriages. How does that work for you, if you could give advice to, to someone um, who's in an interfaith marriage where they don't share faith, they don't share a lot of the same scriptural foundations that they can sort of rely on. How would you tell them to walk? Well, I would say model the evidence of Christ in your life, you know, model biblical principles. You won't do it perfectly, but I think so many times it's not the words that we say that encourage somebody about the reality of our relationship with the Lord. People don't care about our relationship with Jesus until they see the reality of Jesus in our life. So I would just encourage to model what we learn and live. And um, at some point it really will be noticed. And you want to make the other person curious, not furious about religion and especially about your Christian beliefs. And so live a life that makes them curious. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Lisa Turkhurst. The book is called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. This is the latest of many books you've written, um, all really powerful um, books about relationships and moving forward with uh, um, within the Christian community. Um, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful ministry you have. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Oh, it's such a joy, Lauren. I love the work that you do, and I appreciate you greatly. Uh, thank you very much. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app, or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.